And now Livakovic kid up against Rodrigo. You can do it, Livakovic. Happy ones, good one. A great save, yes! Get it in! A save here could win it. Marquinhos against Livakovic. And oh, the post! <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot podcast. We are here to recap the quarterfinals that we've just seen at this year's World Cup and then look ahead to the semifinals. I am Rich, and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? Good, good. Just trying to stay warm in uh, snowy New England. Yeah, it's snowing in New England. It's snowing in Toronto. It's uh, it's that time of year. Um, I think I'm going to pass it over to you. We wanted to uh, just kind of send our condolences to Grant Wall's family. Um, obviously, some sad news over the last few days surrounding the World Cup. But I'm going to pass it over to you, Joe. You're a lot more familiar with his work, so I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, so I think a lot of people obviously know, have heard of the passing of Grant Wall. Um, for American listeners, I think they'll be very familiar with him for international listeners. They may be a little less familiar, Um, but Grant Wall was, it was honestly one of the more important people when it came, you know, to soccer in the United States. Um, You know, honestly, he was, he was one of the first people that I ever read when it came to soccer. So he wrote in sports illustrator for a number of years, Um, especially anytime it was a cover article, it was primarily about soccer. He obviously had a famous, uh, 2001 piece i think it was on lebron james but you know he started off as a college basketball and soccer writer but he became uh, a soccer writer uh predominantly um and he he really was kind of like a trailblazer when it came to giving a you know soccer in you know in the united states uh relevancy but just just someone there who was there to tell the stories that so many other people weren't so he, he focused a lot on MLS initially in the early 90s when uh, MLS had kicked off. But he covered basically every World Cup men and women's um, over the last 20 years. Um, he he worked at Fox, which uh, broadcast the World Cup in the United States uh, for seven for seven years. He actually left Fox in, in, um, after the Russia World Cup because he was dissatisfied with their coverage of, um, you know, the country of Russia and how they don't really mention it. And he actually recently, he uh, had a podcast with Landon Donovan and Fox actually didn't allow Landon Donovan to come on anymore because he was so critical of Fox taking money from uh, the Qatari government and tourism agency. So he's, he was a man of principle. Um, he, he, but I think the most important thing is he just, he loved soccer uh you know he he covered all kinds of soccer like i mentioned from you know copa Libertadores to uh nca women's division one championship he just was somebody who loved soccer of all types of all kinds and he's really uh an important person in terms of getting soccer coverage more attention in the states and there's just, just very few people st- um you know, in current society that had such an impact on one sport as he has currently. Uh, Cause you know, baseball and football, you know, those trailblazers were, you know, doing their stuff in the fifties and sixties, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Grant Wall really did this in the late nineties and early two thousands for soccer in the United States. Uh, so I think the most important thing to remember, obviously it's very unfortunate and it's a little, you know, concerning how he passed. And if, if any updates over the, over the next couple of weeks, we will, you know, update them on the pod. But I think mm-hmm. the most important thing was just uh, he loved soccer 
and he really, as you can see after his death, he really helped influence and guide so many young soccer writers in this country, um, both covering men's and women's um, soccer. So, um, you know, it's very unfortunate of his passing, obviously, and um, the soccer world and soccer, especially in the United States, is better off uh, for everything that Greenwald did. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, it's uh, like I say, condolences to all of his close family, friends, and everyone who knew him. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I'm familiar in kind of recent years of, of some of his articles and coverage, so uh, he's definitely a big part of North American soccer writing and, and will be sorely missed. And, and as Joe mentions, we can kind of, if, if there are any more updates around kind of the circumstances of his passing, we will update you if and when we get those. Um, but yeah, that being said, we're going to move on uh, to our mailbox. Uh, Joe, do you want to remind people of the, the email address that they can get in contact? Yes, it is the wrongfootpod at gmail.com. Perfect. And I know that friend of the podcast, Olin Allen, has been in touch. Uh, what did Olin have to say for us uh, this week? Well, so of course, the one, the one major thing uh was my screw up of course there's no screw ups uh, here just learning no, opportunities of course not. <laughs> yes uh so i think in a, obviously very correctly said i did screw up um and misspeak when i was talking about the hat trick from one goncalo amos uh i stated that he was um he was the first person to have a, tr- uh, a hat trick in the knockout stages uh however uh, since Pele uh, did it, however, that is incorrect. He's the youngest since Pele uh, did it in 1958. Uh, so there have been five others. Most recently, Thomas Scurvy, um in 1990 for the Czechs against Costa Rica in Italian 90. So right off the bat, my era. Not surprising. Uh, Rich, you actually escaped clean on the first pod. No mistakes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, the, other thing, <laughs> the, other thing Olin, the other thing Olin wanted me to mention, and I think he's very right to do this, um, we did talk a lot about how lucky the Australia goal was against Argentina, but equally as lucky was the United States goal against the Netherlands. Haji Wright kind of just ricocheted in. Uh, it was kind of a you know a nuts goal, so we probably should have shed more light on that. Um yeah. That's I think right. I was so distracted by all the other chances that the United States missed. Uh, so that was yeah. disappointing. But uh, other than that, I think we did all right in the first pod. Perfect, perfect. And I know that Olin had some other comments as well that will sprinkle in along the way um, about the the various games that we've seen. And, and mentioning that, we'll uh, get straight into things. Brazil versus Croatia kicked off the quarterfinals. Uh, did Brazil waste all of their goals in the last round? Is that what happened here? So I think... Uh, you know, I it, you could break it down however you want. I did think that um, the first half was very even, and I thought the second half Brazil had more control of the game. They just couldn't necessarily finish. So I'm just interested. Did you kind of see that dynamic, or did you see it uh, differently? Yeah, I think uh, if like there's a different day when when Brazil probably win this game three 0 or something. If if you know they had their scoring boots on, I think they definitely had the clear cut chances. But I think Croatia do what Croatia do best, which is play spoiler. They're very disciplined. They're very organized, um, and they basically always just play to their opposition and try and stop their opposition doing what they want to do, um, and then find a way to get the penalties and win a penalty shootout. That's been good to them as well. Um, but yeah, I think. When when Neymar scored in in extra time, 
I, I thought that really was it. I didn't see Croatia scoring. They hadn't created a ton of opportunity, but you know they hadn't also been trying to. I think they were almost looking to just frustrate Brazil, maybe get something on the break. Um, like you say, I think it, the 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 first half was probably more even, and then Brazil were just like we we need to settle this game, um, but just couldn't couldn't find the back of the net. Um, yeah, but you know. Like I say, they get to penalty shootouts, and it seems like Croatia are the safest bet in any shootout right now. Um, yeah, any other any other general thoughts on this one? Yeah, so I think um, yeah, so I think you know, as we said, I think Brazil would probably be slightly more unlucky not to have scored um, at some point during the game. They had more more chances than than Croatia did on the counter. But I didn't think it was such a significant difference that Croatia didn't deserve a draw. I think it was mm-hmm. one of those where it could have really gone either way, either Brazil winning 1-0 or in the game opening up at any point in that second half or as it did, it went to penalties. And I think, you know, when you you know when you talk about the, the extra time, I mean, just an unbelievable goal from Neymar. You know, just dribbling through the defense, and then goes top shelf over the goalie. Uh, just, just an incredible finish. Um, and at, at that point, I mean, I, we even, you know, we were in numerous soccer chats, and everyone was just kind of saying, you know, some of the newer people uh, who don't watch soccer, you know, as much as we do, obviously, were saying, oh, they don't do golden goal anymore. Why did they stop <laughs> doing golden goal? And you know, we thought, you know, at the 105 minute mark, the game was basically over because of the the class finished by Neymar. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it wasn't, you know, the yeah. Croatian resolve continued. Uh, obviously, Pekovic with a huge goal in the 117th minute, minute um, changed, I think, the course of this tournament, um, getting that late equalizer in extra time. And I think, you know, not to go too into the golden goal, golden goal debate as we do, but I think the great, the great thing about it is when a team scores, the other team feels the need to score and things just open up so it's almost like you don't want to lose those last 15 minutes of excitement or 20 minutes of of excitement or however long it is once that first team scores an extra time and i think this was a perfect uh vindication of that we saw you know the croatians with the late goal and um you know luckily it came so late for them that last three minutes there was really not much brazil could do right um and um what did you think about um the substitutions made by both managers well, I just want to, before I get into that, I just want to go back to Neymar's goal because Neymar is someone that gets a lot of criticism about, you know, diving, feigning injury, this, that, and the other. And he could have 100% gone down for a penalty. Like, he is clattered by the defender, um, stays on his feet, and then a cool finish. So kind of want to give him a, a cap tip for that um, because, yeah, in a different game he goes down. And, and admittedly, he then steps up and someone might score the penalty. But, yeah, I just want to kind of give him... Uh, some credit there for for all the criticism he gets about staying on his feet, uh, but yeah, the subs were. I, I just felt like Croatia. I think they were actually lucky because in we saw in the previous game they took off. You know, um, Modric came off, Perisic came off, um, and I think. Brazil scoring when they did, I think, helped them because I think we could have seen some of those changes again. And then if they'd gone down, I don't know that we see, uh, we don't see them coming back. Brazil, I just think Brazil thought they had it won. Like, I, I, I just don't know. I, I just don't know if they ever thought that Croatia would be able to score against them. I don't think they had that. I don't know whether that's arrogance or just from how they sense the game. Um, what are your thoughts on the subs? 
so I think uh, the Croatian subs made sense, relatively speaking, um, especially the way that the style they were playing. I think Chiche has obviously no longer uh, the manager of Brazil going forward. I think there are a few question marks of his decisions. Um, specifically, you know, we can get into the penalty kicks in a while. I think in, in Brazilian culture, um, the coach always picks the five penalty kickers. Right. And it's it's his right, and there's no changing it. And we can get into the fact that you Neymar uh, go last. But I think, <laughs> I don't know, Anthony, I, I just have never been uh, overly infatuated with him coming out in the 56th minute. Um, you know, Pedro for a Charleston, I, I thought that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought in Fred for Paqueta in the 160th minute after the Neymar goal, which totally makes sense going into the second period when you're just trying to hold on uh the issue issue is fred was just asleep on that uh, on the pekovic goal so he didn't really do his purpose he was too far upfield and allowed the croatians to go on a four on three uh which should not be happening uh in the 117th minute of extra time right yeah i think um i think fred is an interesting substitution regardless of time of game or what like i just don't rate that guy i think he uh, he often looks lost in games um, and a big game as this kind of caliber and like you say you need you need to be playing kind of lockdown mode and Eve just went wandering and uh, yeah could have been costly um, do we want to just, Sorry, just one ahead. last thing before we get into penalties I do think and Yolan mentions this in um, his email um, the referee was a little bit lenient at times in this game um, he was a little lenient to Neymar uh, you could have seen two yellow cards there, uh, Danilo and uh, Brasovic as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think you know, as we'll talk about in the, in the other games, the refing <laughs> was very uh, integral in a lot of these games. In this game, it wasn't. Um, so maybe both of these teams are fortunate uh, they didn't get another referee in the quarterfinals. Okay. <laughs> and then up comes the the shootout, and uh, yeah, Croatia just. They just don't seem to even be close to losing a shootout. Uh, your thoughts on, on the shootout? I've got some thoughts I might save for my winners and losers. Uh, i got a bit of a rant to go on. But, uh, yeah, Uh-oh. your thoughts on the shootout. Oh, Yeah, I think the biggest thing with the, the penalty, um, you know, there's only one. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's two things I want to talk about, right? First of all, <laughs> Croatian goalkeeper. Livkovic, fantastic. I mean, just a stone wall. Yeah. Uh, so, some keepers just have a gift. They can just kind of tell sometimes, and I think he's one of those. I mean, we saw it against uh, in the round of 16 against Japan. We see it here, just fantastic. And then the other thing I think we have to go at, and look, when you're a manager, there's so many different uh, things that you have to get right, and so you're not always going to get everything right. I think with the penalty kickers, I think it was a mistake to leave Neymar till fifth. Um, I, I think, you know, you want your you want your best guys to go first, second, or third, which ensures that they're going to get a kick. And he had him fifth, and he had Marquinhos, you know, a center back, fourth ahead of him. Now, obviously, it's easy to say once Marquinhos knocks it off the post, but Marquinhos has never taken a penalty kick in a game before in his life. So now he needs to score in the fourth, uh, in the fourth slot with them down uh, 4-2, and he misses. And yeah. he's sitting there looking at Neymar. If Marquinhos misses, obviously fifth, it doesn't matter. But you need to—I think you, you need to get your best penalty kickers in the top three. And uh, just—you know—it's kind of crazy that he chose Marquinhos, in my opinion. But again, it's hard to know. I'm not 
I'm not on the field. I don't know what they look like in practice taking penalties. And, you know, I'm not going to kill them for, for having a guy fourth or fifth. But, you know, I, I think Neymar has to be one of the front three. Yeah, and I'll get into a little bit of that when we talk winners and losers. But uh, I think, yeah, that's just criminal to me. And I think it uh, it's costly. I think it's... I think it was Stuart Pierce once I heard on a podcast was talking about it and he was saying that basically why it's it's the first penalty and then it's either the third and fourth are basically the key penalties because the first obviously you want to get off to a good start which we have seen teams not do in this World Cup um, and then you know those third and fourth that's when they're going to be do or die penalties are kind of stepping in and you know if it gets to five that's going to be do or die regardless and then you get further down the list and, and sudden death but I think it's yeah, you need to be. You've got one of someone who's described as one of the world's best players right now. Um, he, how he's not even taking the first one, like step up, take it. Um, but yeah, I'll go into that a little bit more. Um, winners and losers. I, didn't think, I did. I thought I figured I'd be the only person name dropping Stuart Pierce tonight, but I guess, uh, <laughs> he'll get multiple mentions on the pod tonight. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we've got a lot of penalty misses, so it's uh, it's easy to bring up old Pierce's game. Uh, yeah, so you're winner of this one. Uh, so there's really two ways you can go, uh, in my opinion here, but, um, I'm going to go with, um, uh, who do I want to go with? Who do I want to go with? Who do I want to go with? Um, uh, this is tough for you putting me on the spot here, but I'm going to go with Brozovic. Um, I was between him and, and Modric, obviously, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm Modric, not Modric. Um, but I went with Brozovic just because I thought he was massive, um, you know, playing in the in the center midfield, uh, absorbed so many Brazilian attacks. I think he was kind of the fulcrum by which the Croatian formation and defending kind of started, and I think he, you know, made massive tackles. We talked about how he might have been a little lucky to escape with just the one yellow card. But I think he was really the the key point to the Croatian defense, which really hummed um, hummed down the you know the brilliant uh, attacking of Brazil. You? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I could go Livakovic again. You know, obviously we've we've given him enough praise though, so I'm not going to go that way. And I'm actually going to talk about Michael Oliver, our referee. I think he's the winner here. Um, I think he, yes, we can talk about English, maybe right? he should have been. He is English. He like maybe yes. he may be more could have been more strict um but that's not the story that's come out of this of this uh tie whereas when we look at some of the others yes. there's a lot of talk about referees and i think even when you look at the goal that croatia scored i think it's modric get picks it up kind of midway into his own half and is like kind of pushed off the ball a bit and he looks at it and i think there's refs in other of these games that call a free kick there and then we don't get the counter-attack goal that kind of shaped this game and, and took it to penalty. so i think he played really well um I always say the best refs are the refs. You don't realize who the ref is throughout the game. Um, and again, we'll get into that shortly um, about that. But I think he, yeah, I think he played it well and he let the actual kind of the two teams decide the outcome of this game. And there was not too much controversy. Yes, you can talk about should he have been bringing the cards out a little bit more, but I think he just let it flow. Um, and I don't think either teams really came out of it. And, and that's not a talking point for either. So I think that's a great wing. Uh, who about who's your loser? Uh, how about that in this game? As mentioned earlier, I'm gonna go with Fred. <laughs> you know, you had one job. You had one job. You come on to secure the lead. Why are you on the opposite end of a four-on-three? That should not happen in the 117th minute with yeah. your team up a goal. 
when your main job is to defend. You are not an attacking midfielder. Why are you get lollygagging lost up front? Come on, Fred. <laughs> you know, it's just terrible. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't rate him, but uh, I think uh, I'll, I'll go into a little bit of a rant here, and some of this may not be totally his fault, but it's, the loser has to be Neymar for me. Um, I think if we look at Brazilian superstars we've had over the different generations, um, I think he might be one of the more disappointing um, that we've seen um, throughout his club and country kind of career. Um, he, he always seems to disappear in big games. Uh, he didn't disappear. He scored a very good goal. But then to not be in the shootout, um, I think someone of his prowess should be, like he shouldn't give the manager the decision. It should be, I'm taking the first penalty. Like I am the leader of this team. I'm the guy that's pushing this team forward. I'm taking the first penalty in every shootout we're in in this tournament. Um, and I don't feel like he did that, especially if he's on the list at five, uh, which I think is, that's just criminal from someone who's supposed to be one of the best players in the world. And then also now he's talking about international retirement. Uh, this is my own kind of pet peeve. I don't think you should be allowed to retire from international football. I don't think that's your decision. It should be like an honor and a privilege to play for your country. So to turn around and say, oh, I'm retiring. He's only 30. Like we've seen a lot of people like Modric in that game. How old is he now? 38 or whatever he is now. 37, yeah. It's like you don't make that decision like if you're not picked you're not picked um yes you can obviously retire from the sport as a whole but international retirement is something that really bugs me because like i say i don't think that should be up to the player to decide uh, and basically create the narrative that they just wouldn't have got picked anyway um so yeah neymar is my loser and some of that's just kind of personal pet peeves uh, but yeah, I'll, sounds like it. <laughs> I'll leave that there, and we can move on to the next match, which saw the most amount of yellow cards ever. Apparently, there was a red card. I had to text Joe and be like, "When? When did this happen?" Uh, BBC edit reported at the 128th minute, which the game didn't even go that long. Um, yeah, it was a wild one. Argentina seemed to be basically through, and then out of nowhere, uh, yeah, the Netherlands got back into it, took it to extra time, took it to penalties, uh, but then Argentina, who for all the criticism we give to extra time sometimes like they were really trying to win it i don't think they wanted to shoot out at all um and they were really pushing uh but they couldn't get a goal in extra time but then took it to penalties and get the victory what are your uh your thoughts on this one yeah so i think really there's not much to talk about in this first half <laughs> other than the brilliant and I, and i will use the word brilliant pass by messi mm-hmm. uh to set up molina on the first goal uh you know really just a breathtaking pass the vision um is just it's just why everyone considers him considers him the goat it was just a fantastic mm-hmm. fantastic ball um but really i don't think there's really much else to say about this game for the first you know 75 75 minutes i think um you know it was kind of it was just kind of argentina kind of in cruise control obviously messi gets the penalty um in the 73rd minute to put them up to, but it really wasn't, um, you know, it, it didn't feel like it was uh, anything terrific before that. Yeah, I, I don't think, know if uh, there's anything else you want to point out. I, Argentina, like, I I wanted to kind of be semi-rooting for them through this knockout stage, and this game kind of put me off them a lot. Um, you know, their, their typical antics, looking for free kicks, looking for fouls, always in the refs here. This ref was not popular to either team by the end of the game, which is always impressive. Oh. Um, but Give him his name. What's his name? 
his name is Antonio Mateo Lahoz. Yes, so yes. He will be he will be coming up shortly. Oh. Don't worry. He's on oh. he's on my he's on my list to talk about. But oh. he um not if not if I get to it first. <laughs> he, uh... What a wretched official. What a wretched official. And and he had incidences in the Euros and in the World Cup previously and just a just a horrible, horrible job. I mean, we could go on and on, but I mean you said it all. Seventeen yellow cards, uh, and somehow conveniently nobody gets a red card until Dumfries at the very end after the penalty kicks. Uh it was just uh it was just just such trash but before we get down that i would like to say uh what changed this game right argentina was up two nothing it's kind of in control what happened Voot Weghorst, <laughs> the big boy and what did the dutch do when they were down two nil nothing pretty there was no pretty intricate passing no they got the big boys up front and they just pounded balls into them Voot on that first goal a brilliant header from almost outside uh i don't even know just barely inside the box when he when he struck it but just a brilliant header there and then of course the you know how can we not talk about the amazing set piece uh the last kick of the the last kick of the game really uh everyone's expecting them to smash it and a little cheeky pass to voot he holds off the the defender and he pops it in the net and it was just a thing of beauty because you know, we see it so little. Everybody just, you know, there's almost no imagination anymore. It's almost always, you know, go over the wall, try and, you know, make yeah. it in the old-fashioned way instead of trying to be intricate, trying to be cute, trying to utilize your numbers when everyone's focused on building a great wall. Especially now when one almost in all instances there's one less defender that is lying behind the wall. Right. I think there's ways to, to you know, especially if you don't have elite free kicker, you know, like the United States of America, for instance. <laughs> and if you have a set piece coach, maybe he could design something a little bit different, you know, instead of just kicking it into the wall. Uh, like well, uh, most what, teams do. What that guy lying on the floor also does is one, he's dead out of the play because he's lying down. And two, he's preventing the wall from tracking back because they're going to fall over him. Right. right. Like, so he's almost working to your disadvantage. I know why they have it. So people aren't just rolling it under the wall, uh, which we used to see quite a lot um, before this kind of became a technique. But yeah, like use that to your advantage. Like they, he's basically preventing the three, four man wall from moving um so yeah play around it and then you know he's got to get up pretty quick and not in enough time and i think it was a really good finish as well like you say he gets it back to goal uh and then instead of just trying to like put his laces through it he just gets it on target that's all he needed to do i think the 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 goalie is kind of wrong-footed at that point um because you know it's it's a shock to to what's just happened um and just get it on target and nine times out of ten unless you hit it right at the keeper that's going to go in um so it was a, a really good finish and unfortunately that didn't kind of push them on to the victory but i thought that was like you say very very creative um much to say about extra time in this one for extra time, I want to just give a shout out to uh, Paradis for just just nuking the ball uh, <laughs> at the Dutch, creating a little brouhaha. Virgil Van Dijk just cleaning up, yeah. uh, being the enforcer. Uh, somehow, Paradis is the only one that got a yellow card. It looks like Scaloni, the the coach as well uh, for Argentina, got a yellow card as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, oh, and the other thing I want to point out by this terror offeree, a Messi with an obvious handball. Oh yeah, I forgot and just about that. Nothing, you know, just you know, let it go. It's Messi. Um, and, and I think the other one thing that we should touch on, um, I think before penalties, really, is just the. It was nice to see two teams that just don't like each other. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, especially cross-continental. Um, you know, I think this is the most, I could be wrong, but it's at the very least it's one of the most um, frequented World Cup matches. I think this is their sixth meeting. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll get you on to check on that. Uh, <laughs> but I think um, it was just a, um, it was a fiery match. You could tell there was no love lost um, between the, the two, I think, with penalties. They were trash talking after every one, trying to get into each other's heads. And, um, you know, I, I didn't like some of the antics, obviously, afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think once the final whistles blows, you just kind of have to man up. But during the whistle, I love it. You know, in between the whistles, I love a good uh, combative yeah. Uh, matchup between these two teams, the 17 yellow cards, as we talked about. But um, I did, insane. I did, it did kind of bring warmth to my heart to see two teams that just don't like each other. I like wanted to, like, the passion was because they want to be successful, right? Like, it's just, yep. it's just like this matters. Um, and that's not to say that other games, you know, teams don't see it as mattering, but it just, yeah, the passion is, is always good to see in that fire. Uh, and then we, we went into penalties. And what seems to be a theme here is like, one of the teams just misses the first penalty and then they're just chasing it the rest of the time and can never come back. And, you know, Van Dyke stepped up and has his penalty saved and it was all kind of downhill from there from the Dutch perspective. They did look like maybe they'd find a way back in, but they just kind of got down too much too quickly and couldn't find a, find a way back in. Your thoughts on the shootout? I think it's kind of been amazing. I think all three... All three uh, shootouts we've had this World Cup have been one so so one-sided. Mm-hmm. There really hasn't been drama of both teams making it. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, maybe because two of them have, have involved uh, Croatia and they're just so elite at it. I don't know. But, yeah, um, yeah I thought it was, you know, it was a typical um, penalty shootout. I think Messi was, you know, we saw, as we'll talk about, Harry Kane on his second attempt. Was it great? <laughs> um, Messi was brilliant on both, you know, the little yeah. cheeky... Uh, draw the uh, goalie one way and pucker in the other end, and uh, you know it, it was you know that takes skill and that takes a lot of um, cojones. And and Messi is not someone who's always been good from the penalty spot. So yeah, um, yeah I, I'm not you know not I, not that I'm going to take anything away from Messi, but uh, I think sometimes he he might be overly praised a little bit too much. <laughs> so it was nice to see him uh, really um, step up when the Argentinians needed him. Yeah, for sure. And we will uh we'll move into our winners and losers. Who is your uh your winner for this game? Listen, there's only one way I can go with the winner here. <laughs> Voot Veghors. <laughs> Two goals off the bench. Uh the brilliant header, the 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 you know, the the brilliant uh free kick that he held off the defender. Uh just a brilliant name. Uh, 30 years old. He's probably not going to see another World Cup. We're not going to see the great Wout Weghorst anymore. <laughs> but uh, just a tremendous, tremendous uh, output when he was on the field for only 20 minutes, basically, uh, in, in normal time. Uh, and obviously, of course, what would you expect? Steps up there to the penalty spot when his team is down and drills the penalty, of course, because he's Wout Weghorst. And I, I just love him. I love the name just a, such a great throwback player so I'll, he's my winner even if the dutch lost yeah my uh my winner is a man making his fifth world cup appearance uh, he had three appearances in euro 2020 slash 21 however you, you code that and it is the spaniard the referee antonio mateo Lajos. 
he uh, he obviously went into this match saying, I want to be the center of attention here. And he did everything to make that happen. Uh, he wanted to be the star of the show. He wanted to be the hero of his own story. Uh, and he just didn't even... Like, it was terrible. Like, everything about it, like, it just, like, he lost control of the game, but in, like, the worst type of way. Didn't let anything go. And then, like you say, Messi, blatant handball. I don't know how that is never a yellow. He then gets a never yellow card later in the game. So is that Messi seeing red? Like, it just didn't make sense. Uh, you know, he would suddenly give fouls that weren't fouls and then there would be like terrible challenges and he would just let it play on like it, it was just not even logical and it was not consistent uh so so take a bow sir you are you are my winner of this one uh who's your loser for this game i'm gonna go with the public because uh, we don't get Argentina and uh, Brazil in the semifinals. Uh, obviously, you know I'm not the. Not, I am excited about Croatia. I am not underestimating them, but a Brazilian Argentinian semifinal might have just been too much to handle, uh, especially <laughs> before a final. Uh, Would have been incredible, and to get so close, uh, yeah, so far away from that, just in crazy game. Uh, is disappointing, and I think it's disappointing to a lot of executives, uh, major cable companies throughout the uh, throughout the world. Yep. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go with Virgil Van Dyke. Uh, I think his penalty miss. Uh, he had such a good game, but that's gonna haunt him, um, like any penalty miss does. And I think uh, there was a way when you know he puts that in the back of the net, and it completely gets in the back of the the heads of the Argentines who didn't want to go to to penalties. Um, but the fact that they kind of gave them that that miss early on in the shootout and it was the buffer that they needed to kind of settle their nerves uh and and not have to worry about it and yeah it's uh i think you could go with anyone with the dutch squad you probably could go with the referee as well but he was my winner so i kind of have him as my winner and loser um he is a loser but uh not my loser uh so yeah i think i'm gonna go with virgil van dyke here and we will now move on to portugal versus morocco and joe i'm gonna let you have the floor here as someone rooting oh. for for portugal and get all of that anger frustration disappointment out all at once yeah so i think this is probably the weakest of the the quarterfinals you would say um the only um you know i think the one that lacked probably the most drama not to say it still wasn't you know fun to watch at the end but Mm -hmm. um you know this is this is just how morocco plays right i think they're very you know they don't. They you know they they don't have necessarily the the attacking artillery that these other teams do. So they have to sit in and counter. And right. I think the the counter was um, was successful in this game. I think the, the funny thing with Morocco is you know with Ziyech, with Buffal, um, they're very good at creating chances on the counter, but they just mm-hmm. can't finish. Uh, there was a couple of chances I think uh, late in the first half and then early in the second half for them to to kind of put this on ice, go up to to nothing, and they couldn't uh, do it. Um, and it wasn't for a lack of brilliant play. They just couldn't finish, uh, which is slightly disappointing. But, um, you know, you have to give the hats off. They, this is not a deep squad. They were down multiple players. We saw uh, Saiz get hurt um, in the second half, and, and they just filled in, you know, and they found a way um, to dig deep. They are now the first ever African team to make the world cup semifinal they beat both of the iberian peninsula rivals in spain and <laughs> portugal in successive rounds um they haven't had this much control of the iberian peninsula since the seventh century um <laughs> and it was just a great it was very enjoyable to to see their excitement and to see the the, the crowd which is obviously overwhelmingly uh moroccan was brilliant to see 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have nothing but you know positive things to say about Morocco. Uh, you? Yeah, I thought they, they played well. I thought there was times when they kind of tried to shut it down, put 11 men behind the ball, and I, I thought that was going to be costly because Portugal really were knocking on the door uh, for the majority of the second half. Uh, and I thought, like you say, they were there were times when they'd create chances on the breakaway, uh, but there was a time for, I'd say, about a 20-minute period where they weren't even trying that. They were just, like, basically clearing it to have then the next wave come from the Portuguese defense. Uh, they weren't even leaving anyone up, but I thought that was going to come costly. It didn't. I don't know how Portugal didn't score in this game. Uh, they had some really good chances. I thought Bruno Fernandes was absolutely quality in this game. Um, and I think it's it's similar to, to some of the kind of feedback we've given about various teams about not having that out-and-out striker. Um, and we'll talk about... Uh, Giroud when we get to the to the the England France game, but you know they didn't have that one man up front. Um, like Bruno Fernandez can't be creating chances and scoring chances. You know, Mister Cristiano Ronaldo came off the bench. He had one chance. He got it on target well, um, but you know it, they didn't seem to have that final finish. And I think that's what kind of cost them. Um, but I, I was really shocked they didn't score because, like I say, there was a time when they were just knocking on that door. Yeah, all right. So to rip off the band-aid from Portugal here, uh, <laughs> I wanted to focus on Morocco, obviously. You know, uh, I mean, we could go a lot of different ways here, but, I mean, the biggest thing is uh, Diogo Kost. What the hell are you doing? I mean, <laughs> you, if you come out for the ball, you have to get it. Or I at least hit the man. High. Don't hit I your don't own guy. Hit the attacker. the defender jumps. I don't care if he's on a trampoline. He's using his head. You have arms. Figure it out. You're a big boy. Figure it out to come out there. And he's been pretty poor this whole tournament. If if you paid attention to Portugal, uh, Costa has been terrible this whole tournament. And of course, it was going to come back to bite them in this game. Just a, just a terrible, terrible decision. Leaves the goal wide open, and obviously, you know, Moroccans finish it. And just you know that that is the difference in these games. You know, you know, as well as Morocco was playing defensively, I thought Portugal did a better job than Spain in creating chances and moving the ball swiftly mm-hmm. um, up, and they just couldn't finish their chances. We could go into, you know, Bruno Fernandes, you know, hits the top of the crossbar. We talked about Ronaldo's half chance earlier. You mentioned we could talk about Pep's brilliant header that right. strays wide in the at the death there. Um, we could talk about all of those things, but at the end of the day, if Diogo coach just doesn't make a brain dead play, it's a nil nil game because Morocco, as great as they are, as great as they are compact defensively, as good as they are on the counter, they just struggle to put the put the ball in the net. But not when Diego Coach is just just lost. <laughs> um, so that was very frustrating, and um, you know I think that's that's you know especially in tournament play, that's what these games come down to sometimes, just one bad defensive play one inability to get a great chance on frame like pep uh at the end there so you know it's it's disappointing i think the only other thing i want to say about us is uh, excuse me portugal i think fernand sanchez great as he was last game i think there's a number of things you can you can quibble with him here um but none more than you know first sign of of being down 51st minute what does he do runs ronaldo onto the onto the field (laughs) In the 51st minute. Why? Why? He's not, you know, he can come in for, you know, the last 15, 20 minutes. But you did not have to, 
you know, pull the emergency brake at that point and get him on in the 51st minute. There was just no need. And, you know, we did talk about the great half chance he put on, on you know, and on frame. But, you know, th- that wasn't needed that early in the game. It was just a mistake. It was just like a guy who <laughs> – it was just a coach who went back to his his old steady, you know, when he knew it wasn't the best option by not starting him in the lineup. But yet the first sign of adversity, where does he go back? Oh, Ronaldo, save us. Right. And, you know, I think, Ralph, you know, Rafael Leal came out on the 70th minute. He should have been the first guy out. You know, he is their best potential goal scorer off the bench. Um, right. You know, Joao Felix, Fernandes, uh, I thought it was strange to start Otavio in this game. He's more of a, you know, a workhorse there. I didn't really get that. Ruben Neves was eh in this game. Um, Bernardo Silva was very eh. I thought Dolote was good. Ruben Diaz was not very good. Uh, got away with a few things. Um, I just, you know, I just, look, it's tough to come from such a brilliant display they had against Switzerland, especially a team against Morocco. So I don't mm-hmm. want to be too harsh on the Portuguese. I think, you know, they have, they, they play better than Spain against did against Morocco, even though um, they didn't make it to, uh, you know, penalties uh, like the Spanish did. I just think it was... Um, it's tough in the World Cup, right, to be good every game in the knockout stage. We saw it with Brazil. We saw it with Portugal. We saw it with Spain after the first game against Costa Rica. So I think if you're Portuguese, you know you have blown an opportunity here. You're not going to get a better chance to make a semifinal of a World Cup. But at the same time, you do have to be pleased with how they played up until this point. You hope going forward, you saw so much young talent on this team that's only getting better. You just hope into the future... They can, I think, I, I, obviously he's going to meet with the Portuguese FA, but I think uh, it's time. It's been time. I think it's finally time for Fernando Sanz to, to leave. He won the Euros, but it wasn't like a brilliant performance. And I think they've been disappointing in the last two major tournaments before this one. So I think it's time. Get a new voice. Get a more attacking manager. And, uh, yeah, but I don't, you know, but still, whenever you make the final, the quarterfinals, especially a small country like Portugal. This is only the third time ever in the World Cup quarterfinals. It's hard to be too disappointed with the result. It's just a wasted opportunity. No, for sure. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it's it's easy to get kind of hard on, on the team uh, when, when they lose. And we can talk about that when we get to England as well. But I think it's, like you say, uh, you got to kind of reflect and, and see what the next step is and, and build from there. Who was your winner of this game? Uh, I'm going to go with the Moroccan crowd, honestly. I mean, there's obviously a host of people that we can go with, but the Moroccan spirit from the players and the fans was just incredible. You know, that yeah. whole stadium felt like it was a, it was a Moroccan home match. Um, you know, I think crowds, you know, sometimes crowds can be overrated, but when, when your team is fighting for everything they have, they're down three or four of their best players and they summon the strength. A lot of that can come from the crowd. And, I just have to give them so much props. I think it's it's been one of the joys of this World Cup um, to see the Moroccan uh, fans just kind of take over. Uh, it's been brilliant. Yeah, I think 
the 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 whistling was relentless and it was pretty impressive because it pretty much went on the whole game because Portugal had so much of the possession and they were relentless every time. I think uh, I'm going to go for the easy winner. I think it's Bono in goal for uh, Morocco. I think if they have a different keeper, uh, if you switch the two keepers, uh, I think Portugal probably score three, four, maybe five in this game. Uh, I think he made some good saves, uh, stayed confident in the back. And yeah, I think on a different day, uh, we see a completely different result if it isn't for him. Who's your loser of this one? I have to go with Diego Koch. Just, just <laughs> terrible. I talked enough about it. Just a terrible play, and uh, he's been shaking this whole World Cup. He's young. He's 23. Usually, like your keeper is a little bit older, so hopefully he'll be ready for uh, the Euros in 2024, and obviously the World Cup in 2026. But uh, really, think he's the main reason why Portugal lost this game. You. I'm going to go with Bruno Fernandes, uh, mainly because he played so well. Uh, it's one of the best performances I've seen from an individual player that's probably not messy in this tournament. I thought he played really well, and uh, the rest of the team, he didn't have the supporting cast to kind of help him, and I think he deserved to progress uh, single-handedly with how he played, and I think it'll be disappointing for him to to miss out going any further in this, com- in this competition. So I had uh, Bruno Fernandes. Uh, that takes us on to our final matchup. Uh, I think this was the one I thought it would be the game of the quarterfinals, and I think it delivered. France versus England. Um, England, though not in a shootout, penalties come back to haunt them in a World Cup yet again. Um, what were your thoughts on this before I dive into some of mine? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's tough to be English, isn't it? <laughs> um, look, I mean, we know how it is. It's coming home. It's coming home. This is what the the people of England love. This is a sport they cherish more than any other. And you know they've had so many just rubbish performances. And now under Gareth Southgate, the last three major tournaments, they've been alive. They've had real chances to lift the trophy in all three. And I think this is just a really, really disappointing defeat. Not necessarily how they played. I think when you look back to how they played against Italy in the Euro final or how they played against Croatia, they were the second best in both of those games. But today, uh, not today, but you know, this weekend, um, I think they were slightly better than France. But you know what? This is tournament football. It's the beauty and the tragedy of it. You can play better than your opponents <laughs> to lose. And I think that's where we are with England. Yeah, I think I think they were the better team, but I think there's kind of like an asterisk next to that because when the game was tied, I think France looked good, and I think once they got ahead, they weren't going to kind of catch themselves out by pushing too for, too much forward and um, kind of let England play uh, until they got the first penalty and the goal, um, and then they kind of turned it on again once it was one-one. And then they played well again, and it wasn't uh, kind of an attractive game to watch from a French perspective. But I think when they needed to, they did what they needed to, and I think that's the true sign of champions, and that's why they are the holders right now. Um, they know how to get through these games, and I think that's where England keep falling down. Is you know they play the big names that have been there before. Um, admittedly, Croatia, you could say that, that that's not them, but you know Italy in the Euro final. And then, and then this game against France is—they just—they just seem to lack that kind of 
I don't know what it is, just kind of clinicalness to to put the bigger names away and and just kind of they definitely had their chances here, right? Like there's no kind of what ifs. Like they had a second penalty and we don't need to go into too much of that. Everyone's seen it. Blasted over the crossbar. You gotta you gotta at least hit the target, make the make the keeper make a save. Um I think the fact that it was his second penalty is what caused him to blast it over the crossbar because I think he saw Loris had kind of read that he was gonna go the same way again. And I don't know if that kind of then triggered him say like I gotta put it a little bit higher and then, you know, the adrenaline going through his leg meant it went a lot higher <laughs> I, I don't know um but yeah i think i think france weren't great but i think they were great in terms of doing what they needed to do which was win the game and they did that i think england did a great job of keeping mbappe quiet i think they kind of kept him out of the game um but then did that free up space for griezmann to make one of the best crosses i've seen this tournament uh from deep left uh just kind of right onto the head of drew via the shoulder of old slabhead uh, harry Maguire to get the second goal but i i just don't know if it, it just seems to be like that's england's downfall again and i don't think it's necessarily anything southgate wrong any any, any of the players did wrong is it just a, a mentality thing where they can't seem to get over this this hump of when they are playing some of the bigger teams because you look at their route to the semi-final in the last world cup um the teams they played are not kind of a list of shining stars uh you look in the euros they had a relatively easy path to the final and then here they just played senegal uh no disrespect to them but not one of the more difficult opponents of the of the last 16 so when they come up to the teams like italy like france like croatia who are kind of putting these runs together that's when it's been their downfall and, and maybe that's a little harsh but um i think it, that's where they need to have a change make a change um like i say is it just all in their minds i don't know and i don't know how you change that um but i think they will be disappointed because i think they will see a morocco team there for the taking in the next round um and then who knows when when you get to the final um and i think i think i said this on the preview of this game that it was always going to be whoever went out here was going to be disappointed that they only made the quarterfinals because i thought both these teams had a real chance at, at winning the whole thing um Anything else on this one before we get into winners and losers? Yeah, yeah. So a few things. Um, first, I think uh, you only know, made a great point. Uh, Saka was not getting uh, much love from the officials <laughs> during this game, and and we can talk about Southgate in a second. But um, I think you know, as a Tottenham fan, it was very hard to watch that second penalty kick. You know, the captain Hugo Lloris against. You know the best player Tottenham's had in the last ten years, and Harry Kane going head to head. Someone has to lose, someone has to win, and, and it all encapsulated in that penalty. And of course, what's the worst case? You know, oh, okay, maybe Hugo makes a great save, or maybe Harry probably said no. Harry decides to balloon it 65 <laughs> yards over. It's you know obviously awful uh, to see that. And then of course the Spurs jokes, which are warranted. But I think what I want to touch on uh, first, the uh, Tulamani goal was just brilliant. And I think you mentioned how great of a job the English did on, on Pogba, and they did. But I think Mbappe. if you look at this... Uh, excuse me, yes. <laughs> they didn't even uh, better on Pogba. They, they left him out in the tournament. But, yeah. <laughs> but I think what you if you rewatch that goal, they pay so much attention to Mbappe, which I'm not saying they shouldn't, but they did, mm -hmm. that it freed up a lot of space to the right-hand side of uh, the field. Yeah. And that allowed uh, Tulemani, uh some time on the ball, and he just... A brilliant finish. I think... You know, 
pick for me have been a little slow, but I don't, I, I don't want to pick on them too much. I think it was just a, a great strike. Um, you know, I think Sokka was brilliant. Um, I think, you know, maybe question some of the subs that, um, that Southgate made. I mean, you know, Mason Mount obviously contributed to the second goal. Uh, well, to the second <laughs> penalty, excuse me. Um, I thought taking, but I think, like I said, I think taking Sokka off for Sterling was a bit of a mistake. Uh, he brought on Grealish in the last like 30 seconds. I, I have no <laughs> idea why. Did absolutely nothing. Um, I think, you know, you talked about the Giroud goal, obviously, which is great. Um, but what I want to say is, like, the French defending to me, like, what the hell was going on? Like, Pantano <coughs> multiple times was, like, ready to just, like, just wanted to give a penalty away so badly. <laughs> just, like, you know, he was being so, like, macho and overly aggressive. It was like, like, like he had a complex or something. It was, it was amazing <laughs> to watch. But he is outdone by Hernandez. With, with, you know, maybe Diogo Costa deserves it, but I mean, just another absolutely brain dead. Mason Mount was never getting to that ball. It was like 10 foot over he, his head. Yes. <laughs> and even if you hit him shoulder to shoulder, that's not going to get called. But no, he just obliterates it. Like, like a, In the spine. Like, a, like, it was yes, just like, like, a, like a. <laughs> like a drunk trying to get through a pottery shop it was just it was just insane what he was doing it's like what are you doing you're up to one there's no need for that and it almost cost him you know it was yeah. just so so bad so it's like i don't know that's that's that back line for france is worrisome uh you know uh, yeah and this was probably the, the final. this was probably their first test as well and like you say yeah. they were definitely exposed um and yeah he gets struggled a bit against poland in the first half as well right and it's just yeah i i think they they've got the talent to probably win this all but like you also wouldn't be surprised if they get undone because of some dumb penalty that they give away or like you say kind of overzealous challenge that leads to a red card early in a game depending on who the ref is and uh i think it's yeah it'll be an interesting one uh to see how they fare against morocco and that's that's exciting we can get into that um you know france morocco will be exciting yep and i think one player we didn't mention yet i think griezmann was fantastic Mm -hmm. i think he's had a great tournament um you know obviously he's had his weird club season with atletico madrid where He's had to come off the bench a lot because of his contractual status. Right. Um, but I think he's really been brilliant this tournament. And I think he's been one of the keys to the French attack and, and why they're even in the semifinal. Yeah, and that's that's a perfect segue to my winner, who was Griezmann. <laughs> I think he was uh, absolutely class in this game. Uh, I think he, like I say, when, when France weren't winning, uh, he absolutely dictated the midfield his cross for the second goal like i say was you know you're not going to get much better than that and all Giroud had to do was was win in the air and he did and, and you, nine times out of ten that's going in the back of the net so griezmann was my winner who was your winner in this one uh hugo Lloris, brilliant penalty save on the second attempt by harry Kane. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he moved at He's, the right time i don't know yeah, that's a, that's my story my and i'm sticking to it okay and who was your loser is it is it harry Kane? Or is it you for having uh, to watch Portugal lose and then watch Harry Kane go through that in the same day? Look, I, I, I want to say Hernandez just because it was such an idiotic play, but uh, <laughs> of course it's got to be Harry Kane. I mean, just <coughs> you know, the you know, the funny thing I was actually listening to to Stuart Pierce on Talk Sport after this game. Uh, it was him and Adrian Durham leading the the tier of sobs, <laughs> and you know they, they were like, you know, everyone played well, but like, who are they gonna blame? Well, of course we know who they're going to blame. They're going to blame the captain. Chance to tie it up. The team has played probably better. 
you get a gift thanks to Hernandez, mm-hmm. and unfortunately he balloons it over the net. And I, and, you know, we've heard this kind of like, you know, I think this is a slightly different dynamic, but we've heard so much. Oh, you shouldn't have the same guy take two penalty kicks. Well, nobody had a problem when Messi did it in the game the right. day before. Yeah. So I didn't have a problem with Kane taking the second one, but I do think this is a situation where it's so unique. <laughs> he's going up against his teammate. Hugo Lloris is the goalie, so you think about how many times they've done this in, in practice. Right. So I do think that kind of kind of does get into your head a bit. But I think this is such a unique situation. I think 99 times out of 100, you want the same guy taking the – you have your best penalty taker. You want him to take it again and again and again. Um, so I think it's just an unfortunate situation. But, yeah, my, my heart goes out to Harry for, for ballooning that. And I made a comment, you know. Harry Kane's going to be the greatest player that never won a damn thing. <laughs> That's still possible. He's still young, my friend. He's only 29. It feels like he should be about 35, but he's only 29. He's got he's got tournaments yes. left. He's got but years. He's going to win. That to probably go. means he's not going to do it for Tottenham, which is a good <laughs> um, But yeah, I think I don't think there's many more losers. Like, I think he's he's the obvious one. I think uh, you know the English public are probably licking their wounds yet again. Like they always find a way. To, to lose in heartbreaking ways like I saw a lot of kind of comments on the BBC website of people just saying like it would have been better just to lose 5-0 right like yeah. you don't have that opportunity with a few minutes left uh, to, to tie the game and take it to extra time when, when you have looked good and you have created chances um, so yeah just heartbreak again but uh, yep. and just yeah. before we move on just thoughts on uh, Southgate I, I don't think he did a lot wrong. Like you say, I, the Grealish substitution, I don't rate Grealish. He's like plays two minutes here and there for Man City. Like I don't think he's going to come on and, and wow anyone. I think that was probably the biggest mistake of his career was going there just to warm their bench. Um, but I don't know if he's... It's not for his own fault, but does he have enough to, to take them on and push them to win a, one of these? Or is this kind of, are we seeing him at his peak, you know, being one of the better teams in tournaments, but always slightly missing out to, you know, in the final or in the semifinals, quarterfinals, this, this is like, I think they are now the, the team that has lost the most quarterfinals in World Cup history. I think it's seven now. Uh, this seems to be kind of the hurdle they can't get over and... I think it would all depend, and this is obviously impossible to say. But if he does leave, like who comes in? Like who's going to make a drastic change uh, to what? Sam Allardyce, bring him, bring him back. <laughs> Big Sam, yeah. So hopefully, he lasts longer than his last reign, <laughs> if they do. But I, yeah, I just Probably like I say, I don't think I don't think there's anything he did wrong. But I don't know if there's any more he yeah. can do either, which is kind of a yeah. tricky position to be in. Yeah, I think my thing on <coughs> said it well in his email that he sent us. Um, Southgate has done such a brilliant job of building up this squad, of kind of putting away the ghosts of English past, of really unifying the squad, of bringing out the best in so many players. I mean, Harry Maguire, whatever you think about him, played much better yeah. <laughs> uh, than he did for you know than he does for Man United. Uh, same thing with 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 Shaw. Uh, Sterling, you know, in general, has played very well uh, under Southgate with England. So. You know, I think you know the FA is in a hard position here because Southgate has done a brilliant job, and you never know. Like, is the new manager, if you were to bring one in, is he going to take the the squad to the next level, or is it just not going to be a fit? And um, you know, they've made a final, a semifinal, and a quarterfinal in their last three competitions, and they lost an extra time in the semifinal of the World Cup. They lost in penalties in the Euro final. 
And this tournament, I think they actually looked better than both of those games, and they lost to France in the quarterfinals. So I think it's it's a really interesting decision. I would lean towards keeping Southgate at least through another Euro because I do see the development um, in him continuing to get better tactically. Um, but I think it is it is a it is a difficult decision. For sure, for sure. Um, do we have any other feedback on on kind of the the quarterfinals as a whole that we want to bring up before we look ahead to the semifinals? Uh, the one thing we didn't mention about the red card in the Morocco game. Right. I mean, it was kind of it was the second challenge did not deserve a, a, a yellow on my opinion. <coughs> uh, what are you gonna do? Um, the only thing I think we want to mention is just. This tournament, I think, you know, the 40 games we've talked about, they've all been brilliant in their own ways, but just it's hard to distance this tournament from where it is being played in Qatar. And I think, you know, we just see it like the crowds besides the Morocco and Argentinian crowds have been kind of weak. It's felt like it hasn't felt necessarily like a World Cup environment. Um, You know, when you look at, you know, Elon brings up the stadium aesthetics. I mean, all (laughs) these stadiums are kind of boring, um, I don't know if, if all broadcasts are like this, but Fox keeps bringing up the fact that the 794 stadium is built from shipping containers. You know, they just, <laughs> that's like the fun fact, like, oh, great, what a, what a beautiful stadium is built on shipping containers, you know? <laughs> um, so I think we've kind of missed that element of character from, from the World Cup. Um, you know, there's obviously been issues, that I guess there's been ticket issuing um, <laughs> parallel to the UEFA final. <laughs> uh, we saw with Liverpool against Madrid, so you know I think that you know you're gonna get some of that, but I just think that you know when you have a World Cup in the middle of the desert, it's gonna get tough. It's gonna be tough to be a real melting pot of culture, and I do think that is one thing that this tournament is slightly missed. Well, and it's so inaffordable as well, right? Like tickets have yep. been expensive, hotels have been astronomically priced, so it's you know you're looking for your average football fan to fork out for a World Cup. I, I don't think this is the one they're going to be rushing to. Especially, like, you look at some of the European fans, they're just going to say, like, well, I'll just go to Germany in two years, which is, like, a train ride away or, like, a short flight away um, and and be able to kind of do it a lot more affordably. And, yeah, your, your point on the stadium, I probably couldn't even tell you how many stadiums they used for these quarterfinals. Like, you could tell me they were all in the same one, and I would believe you. Like, there's no kind of difference to any of them. Um but yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on to the the semifinals. We have Argentina, Croatia, France, Morocco. Uh, your thoughts on on Argentina, Croatia before we wrap up here? Yeah, so I think this is gonna be a fun tie. Um, I think I think Croatia might just nick this. I think a lot of people are kind of penciling on Argentina to the final, but I just I love this Croatian team. I love the midfield can go up against anybody's midfield in the world. You know, Modric, Brozovic. Um, you know, their attacking is, is a little light, as we know. I think that might be the issue uh, against Argentina. Can they finish? Um, you know, <laughs> I've jokingly said, you know, if only these Serbians and Croatians could get along, you'd have a <laughs> damn good team. You could have uh, Valovic and, and Mandzukic up front for this team, uh, yeah. which would just be amazing. Um, but, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I think whenever you have a midfield of, as I said, Motric, Brozovic, Kovacic, you have a chance against anybody in the world. They just did it to Brazil. They can do it to Argentina. I think this game is going to come down to do we get a moment of brilliance from Messi? Do we get the Argentinians finally be able to break down the Croatians? And then can the Croatians 
can they find a goal? You know, Christian Romero, the Argentinian backline, you know, without Amendi as well, it's a bit shaky. Um, can the, can the Croatians, you know, exploit that? Um, I think maybe they can just nick it. So that would be my kind of upset here. I think Croatia may be getting back to a second final, but I, I think this one's going to be really nip and tuck you. Yeah, I think uh, last round I said I think Croatia's legs are going to catch up with them, and they didn't, so I'm no longer going to think that that's going to happen. I think they've obviously got enough in the tank to keep going. Um, They're obviously just going to try and shut down Argentina the same way they did with Brazil. Um, And I think Brazil probably had more scoring prowess than than Argentina do, so I think they may even have a slightly easier job. I think Messi is, like you say, a bit of the X factor there, though, that he can pick a pass from 30, 40 yards. That's just going to cut them apart. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Croatia 1-0 or you know a goal late in, in extra time or a penalty shootout victory again uh, to get them back to the final um, here. And yeah, I think it's all going to come down to... I think it's all going to come down to Messi. If Messi stand, like has a great game again, um, there's no doubting that he can win a game for any team that he's on for the most part um but i yeah i've liked what i've seen from croatia what they did against brazil i think they can just kind of rinse and repeat here and and try it against argentina and then we have france and morocco um the moroccans had taken over paris for their celebrations after the portugal game and then the french came out celebrating later on in the day Uh, i think that's going to be a fun one obviously so so many ties between these two nations and um i think I can see Morocco win this. I think France will probably do enough to win. I think we see a France-Croatia final again. Um, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think I, I don't think Morocco can quite do it here. Um, I think France is just. Um, I just think France is going to be a little bit too much. And Mm -hmm. I think the difference between Portugal and Spain and France is they have Mbappe, they have Griezmann, they have Giroud, they have Dembele. I think they can do it different ways. I think they can, you know, they can score on a header, they can score on beautiful play, Um, they can obviously score on the counter. I don't think they're going to have many opportunities against Morocco on that. But (laughs) I just think it's a, you know, despite all the injuries, I think it's a French team that can win a lot of different ways compared to the Portuguese and Spanish. I think that's going to be the difference in this game. Um, but and, you know, and look, speaking Morocco's of injuries, I was going to say, speaking of injuries, I think there was a couple of key injuries for Morocco in in the Portugal game. Um, I don't know if some of them were kind of precautionary, saw the stretcher a couple of times. Um, I don't think they necessarily have the depth. I think France obviously probably have a deeper squad. Um, so if you know they're lose, if they're missing a couple of their starting players. Uh, I think then maybe it's a kind of a round too far for them to, to make the final. But, you know, how much does the crowd play into it, though? If they have another crowd that's fully behind them, that can give you an extra kind of 10% of energy if you're on the field or if, if not more, right? Um, they're also basically playing with house money. I feel like they were this round. Um, they They weren't expected to beat Spain. They weren't expected to beat Portugal. So kind of how much does that play into things and how much can that boost them to kind of push through and um, get an upset? But like I say, and you said as well, I think France are just too strong. Uh, A lot of these players have been there before as well. This like, it's, it's a relatively young French squad, but still 
with experience, like Mbappe, 23, and he's looking at maybe winning back-to-back World Cups already, which is just insane, um, and 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 being a star at both as well. Um, the one so, yeah. thing I will say is the French line back line needs to take a sedative or <laughs> or just take smart pills or something. They cannot do what they did against England. Uh, they can't give away a cheap penalty. Loris is kind of can kind of be a little chaotic back there at times. I think he was brilliant against. Um, I think he was very good against England with a lot of shot stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the best part of his his game at this point is shot stopping. But you know Hernandez and Ubakano have to be smart. You know you, you can't you can't make dumb challenges. You can't try to assert your aggressiveness in the penalty around the penalty box because uh, we didn't even actually talk about it in the England game. But there was there was almost a penalty on Harry Kane that was right. just inches away from the box. You know, so. They were just really – they were lucky in that game. Um, so they gave up two penalties, and it was very close to the third. Um, on all on plays where, you know, there was no need really. So they need to they need to be smart, and that could be – if that doesn't catch up with them against Morocco, that could easily catch up with them in the final. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's the one area where if you're Morocco, maybe you can get in the box and maybe you can get a goal. Yeah, for sure. Well, that wraps it up. We'll uh, we'll aim to do something after the semifinals. They're on Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe. So later this week, yep. we'll uh, we'll s- drop another podcast. So make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's basically available wherever I can broadcast it to through rss.com. They just have a long list, so I just send it out to all of them. So yeah, and uh, if every one person here tells a friend to listen as well that can double our numbers so feel free to to spread the word about this uh this podcast and joe any final thoughts or anything to say before we sign make up? sure you get your feedback any brilliant commentary any mistakes that i'm sure we made probably just for me at this <laughs> point since rich was flawless please <laughs> send any that. feedback to the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com again the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com we appreciate any comments that you may have uh maybe maybe go a little bit harder on rich next time <laughs> but uh i think um i think we're uh we're in store for hopefully a good semifinals here not the you know sexy matchups on paper that we thought we might get but hopefully they both can deliver and i think even if it's a croatia morocco final it'll be something different and it'll be uh a new world champion so yeah. There's still two teams left that have never won a World Cup. There's obviously two powerhouses that have won multiple times left. So we'll see. I think there's still plenty of storylines um, pouring through this tournament. And uh, I think no matter what, we'll get something that uh, we can uh, get excited for come Sunday. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, we will speak soon. And uh, yeah, see you all later. Everyone seems to know
Still gleaming 